This episode of Assembly Required is brought to you by Audible.com. If you're listening to a podcast as long as this one, you are clearly a fan of long-form audio content. Well, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, podcasts, news, business, and self-development. Has Moon Knight sparked your interest in Egyptian mythology? You might want to check out Egyptian Mythology, a guide to the gods, goddesses, and traditions of ancient Egypt by Oxford University Egyptologist Geraldine Pinch. You'll also find plenty of suggestions of similar topics, or you can browse any of the other thousands of titles available on Audible. There's something for every interest. You can listen while you commute, while you work, or while you're doing things around the home helping you enrich your life with stories without losing time out of your day. And right now, if you visit audibletrial.com assemblyrequired, you can start a free 30-day trial of Audible and start listening today. Signing up helps support the show, and you can cancel at any time. Once again, that's audibletrial.com assemblyrequired. Thanks, enjoy the show. There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I have further faster, baby. Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and welcome to the very, very first fully in-person episode of Assembly Required. We've got Peaches, we've got Chris, Arnaldo's back, we're all here. What's going on, guys? This is weird. Can I just say, seeing you do this in person... I'm genuinely moved to see you do <laughs> the famous assembly required introduction to actually be in the room as Where you're it saying happened. it. Yeah. You know, it's it's like seeing your favorite artist in concert or something. Oh, is, right. Wait. Truly, truly. They moving. say never meet your heroes. Don't look at him. Oh, no. Don't look. Don't make oh, no. eye contact. Oh, He's God. looking. Oh, we have to ignore all the times that I met him before this. Oh, shit. <laughs> I felt like that, but I've only met him in person once. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Your wedding. And then so when he came upstairs and he just started talking, I was like, oh, that's voice face is all uh-huh. one package now. <laughs> yeah. It's a distinctive. It's a distinctive face and voice. And spe- know- special thank you, Arnaldo, for hosting us today in your home podcast studio. We yeah. We're in the Phantom Zone Studios. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what you should call this room. Well, I share it with my wife, so it's a whole thing. But we do call it our studio. Okay. Because she makes content over there. True. Well, guys, we are lucky. We're lucky that we're all here together to talk about a nice, carefree episode (laughs) of Moonlight. (laughs) It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. Take that, suckers. Everyone get a drink. Yeah, we are all drinking. Arnaldo made us some Mai Tais, and maybe you need oh, yeah. to maybe you need to grab yourself a drink for this one too, because it's gonna be a lot. Yeah. Because today we're talking all about episode five of Moon Knight Asylum, directed by Mohamed Diab and written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton. Buckle up, boys. <laughs> oh yeah. We open on a shot of water rushing through a cave, and we hear the distant echoes of a young boy calling for help. A woman's face comes into focus, and she screams, This is all your fault. Taurette screams. Also, I need to I need to remember how Steven said it because he said it in the proper pronunciation. It's not Tauret. I think he said Tauret. Tauret. It's three syllables, which caught me off guard, yeah. 
Mark and Steven scream. Then Mark screams alone back in Dr. Harrow's office. To uh, wear it like... What do I? What am I supposed to do with this hat? To wear it? Oh. I don't know. I don't. I, I can't think of the right sentence for that. To wear it? I'm. What's, I am what, a what's minute the behind. right way to wear it? Ah, ha, ha. There you go. I don't know. Okay. Glad, glad we did that. I'm sorry. What's the point of this hat? <laughs> to wear it. There we go. We workshopped it. That's the one we we'll got there. It. Yeah. <laughs> See, normally we would edit this dumb part out, but. Not no, today, not baby. Today. This is that in-person energy, baby. <laughs> that process. Harrow tells Mark that his mind is a pendulum swinging between sense. Mark is a patient at Putnam Medical Facility in Chicago, and nonsense that Mark is a superhero. Mark insists that Harrow is not a doctor. Harrow soldiers on with his session, asking Mark to retrace his steps. Harrow says that Mark said that he was in a pl- uh, place reminiscent of the office Steve yes. Carell was there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this if this is something you guys care about. Looking at me. But that is that is true to the comic I read. So the one that I am like being very guarded about speaking of, the Putnam Medical Facility in Chicago, that is the location. In oh, the interesting. So very that cool. is a one to one of of the location at least, and that is the entire fact. There's nothing else. It's not that exciting. <laughs> well, and I think it's a continuation of what Arnaldo talked about last week about how much care they've taken in making this true to the comic and being true to the character because there is a way to do a character that is not faithful as far as storyline goes, but still be um, spiritually faithful, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas there is a way to be disrespectful while also diverging storylines. This takes a lot of the core essence of the characters, takes a lot and is very respectful while telling a new story. Uh, And I think that's to its strength. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how close it gets to the story that I will not be revealing to you. I have some tidbits <laughs> later, but it is fucky. That's the right word. It's all fucky. Right. I all like right. fucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> I don't know why, but recently fucky has entered my regular series of vocabulary. Whenever something's weird, I now say fucky. I also have been saying a lot, um, oh God, what? See, I can't even remember what I've been saying a lot, so I guess I haven't been That's saying it that funky. often. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You don't remember that? I'm going to remember when it doesn't matter, and then I'm going to interrupt him. All right. So That's the best way. That'd yeah. be pretty fucky of you. Oh, it's uh-huh. read the room. I just, like, read the room <laughs> for things that don't matter at all. <laughs> Harrow says that Mark said that he was in a place reminiscent of the office, except in Egypt, and that there was a talking rhinoceros there. Mark then corrects him that it was a hippopotamus. Most yep. dangerous land mammal. Optimus. Dr. Harrow asks if that sounds like sense or nonsense. After a beat, Mark admits, nonsense. Harrow finds this encouraging, saying that the mind often builds shelters to retreat to protect aspects of itself from traumatic memories, calling it an organizing principle. Harrow says he thinks the talking hippopotamus could help break down the walls between Mark and Stephen. Harrow tells Mark that before he got upset, he was telling the doctor about a boy and asks if Mark can tell him more. I feel like these past two episodes, especially halfway through the last one, all the way through most of this episode, I had that feeling that I didn't have in the past few Marvel shows, I think since Loki, and it was this feeling of, I have no idea what's happening. Like, I don't know where this is going, and it is exciting. Yeah. You know, it. There was something I wasn't able to place when watching Hawkeye, for example, and it was this, it was this, man, I really don't know what's going on, and it's really exciting and interesting, and these characters are interesting, whereas Hawkeye definitely played it 
for lack of a better word, straight. It was a very straightforward narrative. They had like a little reveal at the end, but to me it wasn't very satisfying. And it was, you know, it was very straightforward and stuff. And that's fine. It's okay to have a story like that. But I think this is where these these really shine when you can have these mysteries. I think they've Disney, uh, the Disney plus shows have gotten really good at telling these really interesting mysteries. Mm -hmm. And I am, I'm excited that this is the direction they're taking the shows. And I hope that this is where they go. They keep going in this realm. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. Like you said with Hawkeye, that was a pretty straightforward show. And I think that was fine for Hawkeye. I don't need Hawkeye to be a big mystery. Straight but, like an arrow. But when they do, yeah. <laughs> but when they do a story like this uh, with a character like Moon Knight, who is so complex and interesting, and is also relatively unknown to like the larger populace, the fact that they could build this up as a mystery has been really good. I I have enjoyed it. Has been a pleasant disorientation i guess for lack of a better term i don't know yo eduardo played bass for pleasant disorientation (laughs) i almost think it's weird now that you're saying it and maybe i have a bias toward the mystery genre and just liking twists and stories but i almost think it would make more like i like that moon knight is the way you just said it is it almost makes more sense to me if it were the opposite if hawkeye were the one that had some mystery and moon knight was the one that was straightforward because hawkeye we already know him as a character, so a twisty story might be more fun for someone we're already established with. And Moon Knight is very supernatural, very weird, might make more sense to a broader audience if it was straightforward. But I prefer everything to just be fucky. Super <laughs> fucky. Yeah. It is amazing that you say all these things about how you love mysteries. And and I like, haven't seen and half, you of, haven't the, seen half Lost. of the popular ones. <laughs> no, specifically Lost. Lost. How I know. You keep talking about how you love all these mystery shows, and you're not talking about literally the best one. You should yeah. have told me how important this was before I started Elden Ring. I will never be able to <laughs> oh, do no. anything recreational other than this and Elden Ring ever again. I think I'm going to hard disagree with... Uh, not Elden Ring. That's that's fine. Okay. You can like that game. Anyway, I think the style in these shows has matched the character very well. I think like, you know, WandaVision, that was also pretty trippy. Uh, because her, she's got trippy fucky powers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I love that we've done this. <laughs> <laughs> it's in, baby. This is the fuckiest episode of Assembly Required to date. <laughs> you got to put like an extra e on the explicit, know, explicit thing. I put a tm on the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was. Yeah, I said it right. I, I always say Bucky and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier was very like political drama, right? And uh, and like you said, like Hawkeye was a pretty straightforward uh, show because he's a pretty straightforward guy. And so this is fucky because Moon Knight is fucky. Yeah, yeah I, that's fair. I agree with you on that because like bringing it back to Hawkeye, you could argue that we didn't really know that character that well. This is the most that that show was the most we ever got to spend time with him. So we really got to deepen his character in that show, as well as getting to know Kate Bishop in that show as well. So it made sense to make that that was more of a character based story going forward. And honestly, the very few mystery elements they had either fell flat like the watch because they barely talked about it. God damn it. Or they fell flat because we knew from basically the second episode that it was going to be Wilson Fisk. And they should have just made him a character throughout instead of having him be a big reveal at the end. The one one big reveal they did, I think, would have been better served if it hadn't been a reveal and had just been 
part of the fabric of the story. I forgot about the watch, and I'm upset you. Bro. Yeah, I'm me so too. sorry. We got to be careful. <laughs> well, you know, they forgot about the watch for a few episodes too. We, so. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we got to be careful because we're gonna get someone commenting saying we're not allowed to talk about Hawkeye in this. No, no episode. It's true. It's, it's a true. bit <laughs> off topic, but I. Uh, was I going to say about Hawkeye? Oh, no, I think that's his whole character arc is that he's supposed to, on the surface level, be this like he's kind of just a secret agent, right? And he's, and then the more you learn about him, it's like there's a whole subplot in Age of Ultron where you learn more about Hawkeye and it's a huge surprise. Like he's a family man and he's got, you know, he's, he's know. remodeling the sunroom. I don't hey. know, man. You're like, hey, look at this boring character, but let's give you these really fun things like, he has a family, and he does well, housework in his, his spare time. One could argue that it is That's interesting not... that he has managed to keep this from his Avenger partners. I mean, yes, the fact I, that he he's I, that much of a mystery even to them. Except I agree for that if you pontificate enough, you can oh, make it boy. sound interesting. <laughs> That's but, a... Pontificate. Sorry, but... but well, good thing we have a podcast. Generally, <laughs> on the surface level... It just makes him more uninteresting, and I think that's why I found Hawkeye the show uninteresting, is because the character is uninteresting. The best part about Hawkeye was the new Hawkeye, because she was a better version of him. I don't think, and I should clarify, the, the subplot in that movie isn't about, and it's barely a subplot, but the theme there isn't that he is interesting in ways you didn't see coming. It's that he's the dad of the group. He's not just a dad on the side. He keeps the team together in ways that all the other members don't really notice, you know, and he's the and, offensive lineman and he's sure. Yeah, he doesn't get the credit. I think that's put together in that great scene with with uh, Wanda where he's like, do what you want, but it's time to be a hero. And if you want to fight with us and you're an Avenger and you're a hero and that's what we're doing. I'm not angry with you. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we are so like <laughs> we're so jazzed to talk about the child abuse Moon Knight episode that <laughs> we're talking. We're relitigating Hawkeye Ultron. instead in Age of Ultron. <laughs> we'll be we're talking about the abuse we had to endure <laughs> when oh we God. watched. Oh, Age no. Of oh no! Oh no! Oh man! Press the button so we know to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta fill the time, you know. Ugh. Mark insists that Harrow is not a doctor. Harrow soldiers on with his session, asking not Mark a doctor. to retrace his steps. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Harrow says that Mark said that he was in a place reminiscent of the office, except in Egypt, and that there was a talking rhinoceros there. I've read all of this already. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you guys say anything? You're I standing right see how far right you got. Because I wanted to say not a doctor like Janet from The Good Place. <laughs> hmm. Fix it in post. Keep going. <laughs> Harrow finds this encouraging, saying that the mind often builds shelters. I read this yeah, too. Yeah, you said that part too. Goodness gracious. Mark uh, stands up. Principle. Yeah. Says he feels much better and grabs an object off of Harrow's desk to threaten him, shouting, you're going to release that monster. He's going to destroy everything, as Harrow insists that he is not Mark's enemy. The two aides we saw last week, previously seen as the fake police officers who were acolytes of Harrow, grab Mark and inject him with a sedative. Now, an important part of this whole scene is that suddenly Mark has a Band-Aid over his nose, a very bloody-looking Yeah, he's got a big scratch like, right on the over his, of his nose. nose. Yeah, I have seen on the internet a screenshot of a comic book with that character yep. and that nose. And then I lost it. I found it and lost it. And I couldn't it share is it with you neither Mark Spector nor Stephen Grant. Interesting. It's another... Reference to that comic that I read. Mm. And you will see, if you watch that scene closely, 
He doesn't speak like either of them. Nope. Yeah, he, he has, has sort that. of a different voice in there. I didn't notice. Did I, you Did you was, think it was the New York accent that we were speculating? Hey, it's me. Yeah. You're not my doctor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Why is I didn't. French? I don't. I wouldn't go French. But we <laughs> 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 oh, I started out hard. New York and then I zoomed into 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 Frenchy there. You know, his character, the yeah, character that's, his, that fr- is his a, best friend, Frenchie. That that's, is a different character. I can't character. believe that they're doing Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, and Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> He's going to pull out a steel drum. <laughs> Jacques Luckley. <laughs> so did you guys notice that there's only three scenes in Harrow's office, and each time it's, well, we assume a different personality? Right. Yeah, you're right. We immediately cut back to Mark and Steven screaming in the hallway in front of, uh, how did we say this was again? To wear it. To wear it. There we go. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. Uh, is it important that the scratch that was on Mark's nose in this scene with Harrow is now missing? Who knows? Nice job, Chris. Thank you. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Whose nose? Oh, Whose nose knows? That is the true question. Mark Golly. remarks that the meds are really something, while to wear it asks Stephen if he and Mark are twins. Sort of, Stephen says, not clearing anything up. To wear it tells, uh, excuse me, Mark and Stephen that they have died and are traveling through the Duat, the Egyptian underworld, which she explains is one of several afterlives, uh, mentioning the ancestral plane seen in Black Panther as another. Do you read the word Duat and think of Hank Hill saying what? Because it kind of looks like Dwat. Uh, I'll tell you Dwat. Yeah. Oh. Well, Dad, what do we do if they ask for their steaks well done? We ask them politely yet firmly to leave. That moon ain't night. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Oh, I'll tell Dwat that moon ain't night. I've I've got away from the Hank Hill voice, so I don't know what I'm doing. You go back to your French. Accent. He's going straight to French again. I That's the only thing you can do. That moon is not night. Les poissons. To where it says that because the duad is impossible for the human mind to comprehend, travelers through it often see it as something more familiar. Though she admits that she's never seen it uh, as a psych ward before. Mark is beginning to doubt that this is real, saying that Dr. Harrow must be right. This is just an organizing principle. Stephen is taken aback by this, but as Mark tries to prove it by entering one of the doors in the hallway to show that there are sev- uh, other patients, he instead finds a ship sailing through the desert. Mark is relieved to find that he's not crazy, just dead. I, and I still don't know, after this whole episode, like, I was sure about my my hypothesis at the end of the last episode where I was like, this is probably just like a manifestation in his mind, and the real world is like the real world. I feel like after this episode, I'm actually not sure what is the real world well, did, anymore. Did you notice yeah. that he referenced something that happened in the very last scene to him? He says, Harrow's right. This is an organization principle or whatever, meaning he is also living this in the same timeline order that we are viewing it, which was something that I didn't see coming at all. I cannot wait to actually say everything I need to say next week. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't wait. That's actually one of the points I was going to bring up later, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it now, if you don't mind. I'll just take it out of what I have in the notes later. Yeah, go for it. Uh, because what I think was really cool about this this episode in particular is I think we 
even said last week that it was pretty safe to assume that everything we saw in the first four episodes was the real world, quote-unquote, the MCU, if you want to call it that, and that, you know, we're just kind of going through the, you know, is it all a dream trope. And I think they did a really good job because, you know, it's not like it's hard for us to accept after watching 20-plus movies and all these TV shows you know, Moon Knight is not the weirdest idea we've had to accept in the MCU at all. So they've done a really good job of managing to keep the what's real and what's in his head story really ambiguous and really puzzling to those of us watching just because they've started adding layers within layers within layers. And it's really, really great. It's not just what's the real world and what's the asylum, and which one of those is the actual truth. Now you have the added layer of, is this also the afterlife? Now he's going through his memories. And uh, even within that, the afterlife manage, uh, happens to, to resemble an asylum as well, because that's how our minds work, apparently, that we have to do that. So it really keeps us on our toes when it could feel like the really played out it's all a dream cliche fake out. And a couple examples I wanted to point out. Uh, these are things that are going to come up later in the episode, but I'll, I'll bring them up now. Uh, when we see young Mark's bedroom a as a child, he has scales on one of his uh, like dressers. And they're just about balanced. So, you know, that's imagery that, you know, is coming from the Egyptian afterlife. And it's part of his memories. Uh, another thing that I thought was really interesting is that when they're in Harrow's office, uh, his diploma, they show a shot of it real briefly. I paused to look at it. It does not name a college or university at all. It just says School of Psychological Sciences, and it does not have a name on it. I've never seen a diploma that does not have a name on it. I took a little picture of it, and uh, what it says, it says School of Psychological Sciences... Uh, in recognition of the successful completion of the required... I can't read all of it. It's kind of a blurry picture. Uh, the important thing is, it says, 13th of December, the year 2011, uh, by virtue of their, uh, of their authority, hereby confer upon the Graduate Diploma of Psychology, Graduate Diploma of Psychology. So no names. Uh, there's not even a, a really legible name for the uh, dean or anything. And what I thought was really interesting, and I might be imagining it, but there's a blue border around it, and the pattern within that border, it looks like the scales to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I sent you all the picture of it, but I can, can see it there. It looks like the scales. It looks like they, they started with scales, a and then they finished the tessellation. Yeah, you know, they like the embellished around. it a little bit, but like if you a quick glance at it, it does look like the scales with like the base in the middle, and then the two things hanging from either side. So that's mysterious and strange. So it really is like, okay, but... You don't know, even when you think you know what's real, now there are just so many levels to it that even within the different places we are, we don't know what's real. And the fact that what I thought was going to be a pretty straightforward, little, like, surface-level trippy, but otherwise straightforward story, I'm now confused. And that's cool. I'm happy. It's weird that if you do confusion the right way, you can interest people. And if you don't do confusion properly in media like this, you just piss people off. Yeah. And I'm glad that we've landed in the, we like this confusion. We're happy to be confused. As long as we think we're going to maybe arrive on some answers, you know, and I think we will. I think that's probably 
the biggest difference, right? Is that sometimes confusion does lead to answers and sometimes you just stay confused forever because the resolution doesn't really end up making sense. We could find out that the resolution doesn't make sense, but I feel like based on kind of learning about Mark's backstory a little bit more in this episode, it feels like we are going to have one that at least mostly checks out. And it'll be rewatchable too, mm-hmm. because there's there's so many of those that was like, oh, it was a dream the whole time, and you're like, well, I never want to see that again because it was a waste of time, mm-hmm. you know. But I think this is something we'll be like, oh, I want to watch it six more times, and like catch all the little details from episode one and mm-hmm. all all this, you know, the fabric that this uh, show has created. Did it suck getting rejected from the field of reeds? <laughs> Sick burn, also. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Peach, don't say anything, but do you guys think this will end on an Inception little spinny thing on the table Uh, and not actually give us which one is real and which one is fake? I don't, only because I have to assume that they have Moon Knight plans for the greater MCU in the future. Okay. Yeah, same. You know, people talk about the weaknesses sometimes of the connected universe like that. I feel like if they try to end it ambiguously, then... That's not going to fit into their greater plans unless it ends ambiguously, but with a tease for a Moon Knight season two that will then answer those questions, which I suppose is possible, but it feels unlikely to me only because I think they're going to want to start getting Oscar Isaac into the movies. What if you did it ends ambiguously and the post credits straight up answers it? (laughs) Yeah, I could see that (laughs) happening, too. I think I would hate that. Yeah, (laughs) I think I would hate that. Wow, I don't know. And then 10 seconds later, okay, I know now. Yeah, <laughs> Tawera explains that she will weigh their hearts on the scales of justice against the feather of truth, and if they are balanced, they will pass. Mark quietly proposes to Steven that they kill the hippo, steal the boat, but is interrupted by Tawera, who is surprised to see the scales are not balancing at all. She says each heart feels incomplete, and that the boat contains the memories of their whole lives. They must show each other the truth to balance the scales, or they will be unable to pass into the field of reeds, and their souls will be destroyed. Now, Chris, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the cosmology of the MCU, and I want to say that when I first read this, I thought you wanted to talk about the cosmetology of the MCU, so yes. I think it's very cool. Yeah, I actually mistyped that, so uh, uh, we're going to talk about Oscar Isaac's hair now. Mm. Thank God. Yeah. It's about so damn nice. <laughs> you know, I really would like to know his skin routine. Um, no. Yeah, I've, I even... No, but not no. Like, if you know Oscar Isaac's skincare routine, email us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Please, actually. (laughs) You know, I, I joke, but also wouldn't hate it. I, I really have enjoyed the glimpse that we have gotten into this greater cosmology of the MCU, which is namely, it's some manner of all religions slash mythologies are true, uh, to some extent. And that makes sense. That's kind of what we expect, because... Thor is one of the main characters of the MCU, and we've gone to Asgard, and we've met many uh, Norse gods, and we know we're going to be meeting Greek gods soon. We've met a bunch of Egyptian gods now, um, not to mention that we've seen an afterlife before uh, in Black Panther, and I thought that was really fun that Tawaret, Tawaret, the hippo lady, said that there are many afterlifes, and she name-dropped the ancestral plane from Black Panther. And talked about how gorgeous that is. And I didn't think about this at the time, but Bast, the panther goddess of Black Panther that they talk about in Wakanda, is an Egyptian goddess. She's an Egyptian deity. And in Civil War, he even mentions that uh, when he's talking to, to Black Widow, he says, 
you know, in our culture, we don't believe death is an ending. Uh, we are accepted into the arms of uh, Bast and Sekhmet. Sekhmet, another Egyptian deity, Bast's sister, I, I believe, sister, uh, sibling. I can't remember. Honestly, I don't remember if Sekhmet is a god or goddess. Not that that matters, but you know. And also in Black Panther, uh, Mbaku mentions Hanuman, who is a Hindu deity. So there's a little bit of a mixing of uh, different pantheons in Wakanda. Uh, but just interesting, the, the connection there. And uh, something that I wanted to note that I think could be an interesting storyline down the road. I don't think there's going to be time to try to address this in this, you know, with one episode left. But it feels like a thread worth exploring, possibly, in a future season. Mark, we see, was raised Jewish. It's maybe safe to assume that he's not really practicing anymore. I don't know. Since he is now serving a completely different god from a completely different mythology, different religion. But in life, he was bound to serve an Egyptian deity. And uh, he is now headed to the afterlife from ancient Egyptian mythology. And given that one of the most important stories in the Jewish tradition is the Exodus, Moses leading the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt, I just think that there is a lot you could try to unpack there. How do you take this episode that we already had an incredibly <laughs> heavy topic and then you throw a second one in there? Yeah, right? He's like, hey, this topic isn't heavy enough. You guys want to talk about religion? Uh-huh, Dude, right? you're, yeah. you're hardcore. Like yeah. in passing. But but <laughs> just, just a very interesting idea that, that a modern day Jewish person, uh, you know, someone who's raised in the Jewish tradition, and I know in the comics his father's a rabbi, it's not really clear in this show it seems like he's probably not, but, you know, we haven't seen really one way or the other. But, you know, someone who's raised in the Jewish tradition, who is now serving an Egyptian god when in the, you know, in the Torah, they talk about how they were enslaved by the Egyptians who worshipped these gods. And now, I mean, if you want to think about it, is Mark enslaved by Khonshu? For sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's some deep stuff. And that could be really, really interesting really complex and difficult stuff to navigate, but something I would really love to see them explore. No time for it in one episode. <laughs> Let's get everyone reunited in episode six. Let's get Kanchu back and, you know, deal with this in season two. I, I, it's just a theme I would love to see them come back to in the future. Yeah, it's layers of irony for sure. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the writers of the comic made him Jewish. I think that probably was their intent, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not I'm not familiar enough with a lot of the Moon Knight stories from the comics to know if that's something that they've ever really delved into or not. But yeah, there is sort of a historical irony to it that that really, you know, I, I just think it's very interesting. For sure. Re-entering the psych ward, Stephen expresses concern for Layla. Mark says she's probably fine now, but that she would like to try to stop Harrow herself. He also thinks that she'd be on board with hijacking the boat, but Stephen finds that this notion ridiculous and insists that they do what the goddess told them and reveal to each other whatever they've been hiding. Through different doors in the hallway, Stephen sees for the first time Moon Knight fighting the jackal in the museum restroom, while Mark gets to see Mr. Knight and Conchu working together to change the night sky. Was it cool to you? I don't know why this stood out to me. I, I lied. I do know why. Because at least our friend group has chosen to use the phrase that's wild for just like a lot of like an exclamation that's wild seems like a popular phrase now so him calling him looking at that and saying that's wild felt very like homey 
<laughs> I don't know why. I was just like, oh, yeah, we Yo, all say that. Oh, he is the homie. Oh. The homie Oscar, you know? Oscar, are you our homie? I think he is. I think if Oscar Isaac was listening to this podcast and we called him our homie, he'd be like, yeah, I'm your homie. Oh. I can roll with those guys, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he'd be cool about it. I noticed something here. I don't know if uh, any of you did. That Mark, in this scene, he goes, I, like, I don't know, Crawley's yelling bingo numbers, which I thought was super interesting because Crawley in the comics is like his on-the-street informant right and we knew that he was the bingo guy but we didn't know that mark knows him we knew that steven knew that he's the gold statue guy oh yeah that's but a good mark point. calls him out by name interesting so does crawley know mark does he know Wait. steven does he know that they're different people that makes me feel like the psych ward is real because how else would mark know that guy well, because they're, they're all people that we had seen before, but is Crawley already Mark's informant in London? Oh, maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe that's why he's comfortable with Steven coming up to him and just talking to him as he's a gold statue, because he's like, all right, you're not Mark right now, but we're cool. Yeah. Like, Look, an English version of me is going to come and sit and talk to you sometimes. <laughs> just of. roll with it. Just keep your statue act yeah, up. Yeah. Do not interact. Mm-hmm. Steven sees through a window. Mark standing on a street. He asks Mark if he remembers it, but Mark cagily replies that it's just a street. Before Stephen could push further, he hears a little boy crying for help and goes to investigate. They enter a hospital cafeteria filled with dead bodies, awesome, as well as the scales of justice still swinging wildly between the hearts and the feather. Mark recognizes the bodies in the cafeteria as the people he killed in Conchu's service. He says they were all criminals and predators, and that Conchu wanted them punished to protect the travelers of the night. Stephen is surprised that Mark recognizes all of them, but Mark replies, you try taking a life. See how quickly you forget. Mark admits that he keeps wishing he'd fail and one of them would kill him instead, but that his healing ended up being a curse. Did you guys have anything about Jake other than our brief mention of him earlier? Because I thought about this scene, just knowing what happens later in this episode where we learn that as a result of the trauma from his mom abusing him verbally... And then physically, he created Steven, right? To yeah. like hide hide himself from, from that. What if this scene is not necessarily a bunch of corpses in a cafe, but what if that is the trauma that created Jake? We don't mm. see it, right? But he those bodies live in his head because he remembers everyone that he killed. So maybe it was Mark. But there's got to be trauma associated with that if he remembers every single one. And maybe once he starts, his Jake Alter ends up taking over to maybe like block that out a little bit for him. Which otherwise is why that cafeteria would be a lot more full. Yeah, I would think so. Well, because I, the guys that he fought in the third episode, they weren't in there. And he killed at least two of them. I mean, he seems to know them all. He remembers, yeah. you know, the place where he killed them or whatever. But my working theory is that Jake was created around the same time as Steven to block out the times that maybe he was violent back to his mother or he was aggressive in return. I mean, he fought back or yelled at her, you know, said nasty things. And he similarly blocked the worst parts of him like he created Steven to enjoy a better life, you know? Sure. It could obviously be different because it's it, it's never a perfect one-to-one adaptation, but 
the chronological order in the comics is that Steven was the first altar hmm. and then Jake came years later for whatever reason. Hmm. Actually, I don't think this will ruin anything, so I will say this. He has a uh, fourth altar in the run that I keep not talking about uh, where he is like a space pilot. So the origin of Moon Knight involves Werewolf by Night, right? Mm -hmm. And in this like fourth altar, the fantasy that he lives in in that version is he is a spacecraft pilot with Frenchie and they are fighting in basically, it's basically Star Wars because they're fighting in space against a fleet of werewolves also piloting ships. It's kind of fun. I would watch that movie. Wow. I will yeah. say that. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get that version. Also, that version is just called Mark. He doesn't have another name for him. He's, just, he, He's he, different Mark. He pilots the ship, and the ship is called Moon Knight One. So, yeah, very Star Wars. Wow. You know, it's interesting because I interpreted the scene of him and his mother differently than the way you did, and I'm interested to tackle that when we get there hmm. because I, the way I read the scene was definitely different. It's almost interesting the way that Mark deals with it. We'll talk about it later. But I found myself throughout the episode wondering when Jake was going to show up because it feels like an inevitability mm -hmm. because we keep getting hinted at him over and over and over. And I kept being like, all right, well, this is where Jake shows up. Yeah, this is where gonna we're going to get balances Jake. the hearts, right? Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. That uh -huh. was like, yep. It was really weird, felt like a... Like, we need three hearts, not two hearts. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you show the coffin in the episode before. That's right. yeah. that's the biggest confusion for me is that it seems like that is where that other altar is. So maybe that I was confused when that's not why the scales weren't balanced. It could be yeah, worse. They same. could show the coffin in episode one and then disregard it for a few episodes and then bring it back every <laughs> once in a while and then... It's a Rolex sarcophagus. It's actually uh, Layla's sarcophagus. Uh, uh, she used to be sarcophagus woman. <laughs> don't ruin the plot of the comic Sorry. I'm not spoiling. Mummy 19. Yeah. Ancient <laughs> sarcophagus. Yeah, they. Uh, that's the thing is that it's not even like we're sitting here as like, we know the comics and we're expecting Jake. It's they have done so much to make it very clear to the audience that there's a third personality at least yeah yeah that that mark and steve are not alone in there right so the fact that i think even a casual viewer who's just been paying attention knows nothing about moon knight has not looked up anything about moon knight is probably thinking oh yeah it's not balanced because there's that third sarcophagus they haven't opened there's that third whoever it was that stabbed those people on the rooftop and i think that yeah, this just felt like the natural spot to introduce Jake. And right. and on the on one hand, I kind of get why they didn't, because there was so much work to do yeah. with Mark and Steven's story. Throwing in, surprise, there's also Jake, would have been a mm. lot for this episode. I'm going to put a pin in that but for the one point I have later, okay. where I will reveal comic stuff. All right. Hmm. Ooh. I think two alters at a time is probably what they're thinking. Yeah. You know, and it just, again, getting into that Disney plus Marvel problem where there's only one episode left. So you're like, how are they going to, they have to address this at this point because it has been telegraphed so much in the previous episodes. It feels like it needs to be revealed in the final episode, but 
I have no idea how they're going to fit that in with all the other stuff they have to do. But It's going to be Ralph Boner. We'll find out in a few days. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I oh. saw a meme where they open the sarcophagus and it's Ralph Boner. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> yes, you would. Uh, I would, but I'd be. Uh, but I also like have to applaud the ballsiness of it. <laughs> the ballsiness of Ralph Boner? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, like an old novel. Has like one. It's like on a musty old shelf. It's in like a leather bound. Uh, the the balls of Ralph. But can't continue. Just <laughs> cut me off. Don't let me keep going. <laughs> Make me stop. <laughs> he can just look at me now. Yeah. He can just look right into my soul and make me keep talking. Stephen notices that the scales are slowing down and becoming more balanced. Mark asks Stephen if he goes next, but is interrupted when Stephen notices a small boy standing in the corner. Stephen is horrified that he'd be a child in a room full of people Mark killed. Mark warns Stephen not to go near him, but he follows the boy into a memory, locking Mark back in the psych ward. I just did remember one thing. Mm. I'm coming right back in. Um, in, in, the, in the second episode, when Stephen is in control of the body and Arthur like brings him into his like care facility and they're eating, and he talks about murdering children would be something that they're okay with it seemed kind of weird that he just jumps to that in the conversation at first but now that we know that mark feels responsible for the death of his kid brother no wonder steven jumps to that as something he would ask because steven also knows it too he just doesn't know that he knows it subconscious for him yeah that's that's awesome wow i did not make that connection at all that is wow i think that could be a reason why he immediately brought that up i love that in that episode it's the moment that steven becomes brave because he's not yeah. a courageous man at all, and he's very kind of whimpering, and then like a light bulb comes on, he's like, wait, you're okay with killing kids? Like, no, I'm not. Like, what's wrong with all you people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the memory, a family is having a cookout, and a woman who Stephen recognizes as his mother, Wendy, asks her sons if they're ready to eat. The younger son, Randall, a.k.a. Roro, is drawing a picture, and the older boy remarks that he drew the fish with only one fin. Wendy says, Mark, be nice to your little brother. Stephen is shocked to learn that he had a brother. Young Mark tells Roro that he's not hungry and asks if he wants to go to the cave. Their father tells Elias, uh, their father Elias, excuse me, tells them not to go, not to be uh, gone too long. Their mother tells Mark to keep an eye on his brother. Later, ga- <laughs> Later's gators, Mark says, smiling. In a while, crocodile, his mom replies. And that was... One of the first things to rip my heart out in this episode. I was like, they're making Later's Gators sad, and I don't know if I can handle that. I'm, I watched this with Bailey, and we're watching this scene right afterwards where they're like walking to the cave, and she was like, are we about to get a bridge to Terabithia moment? And <laughs> she was right. Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen Bridge to Terabithia? I have not. So no. it is this movie marketed to children about these two little kids who have this like imaginary fantastical world that they go to because they don't have very many friends. It's just the two of them. It's this boy and this little girl. That's not the Jumanji sequel-ish. That was Zathura. Thank you. Sorry. And so they they go to this like imaginary world in this forest, but to get there, they have to go over this little bridge. It's like a little like man-made, not even like handles. It's like a little thing over like a like a canal. One day, the boy, for some reason, does not meet the girl to go to Terabithia to, to play. And he ends up like going on like a field trip with like a teacher or something. And he comes back 
and there are a bunch of police by where him and this little girl were, and she fell off the bridge and died. Oh. In in this children's movie. I watched this movie, and I was like, oh, look at this fun movie about goblins, because they, like, had, like, CGI goblins and trolls, and it was, like, a very fun premise, and then at some point, it just... Uh-uh. I'm going to quote Eduardo poorly real quick. So we already have this episode that deals with this traumatic <laughs> event, and you're going to add one more thing? <laughs> you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? Her Guys. sister was a witch, bro. I've got 10 more sad things to talk about. Oh, uh, I didn't catch it on my first watch, by the way, but the... Um... Did you catch it on your IHOP? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Locals that jokes. would have been better if you said if you had, did you catch it on your kikis. <laughs> anyway, did you catch it on your Waffle House? Oh, yes, I breakfast places. It. I get it. Anyway, did you catch it on your Peach Valley Cafe? On my first viewing, you can't say of that. this television program. <laughs> I did not catch that Mark says that he's only drawn one fin on the goldfish, and of course that obviously links up to the goldfish that Stephen had—the one-finned goldfish. Sephiroth. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Gussie, 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 Roth. Well, and that's like another Um. thing. So if why does Steven have a real fish with one fin? Right. If it it's was just a question. Exactly. If it's just a manifestation of his little bro- of his little brother who mm. drew a fish with one fin, then why does Steven actually have a fish with one fin? It could be that he bought the fish because it had one fin because subconsciously it reminded him of his brother. What if he But what if he subconsciously we, cut the fin off of the Are we not going to acknowledge like a thing. Are we not going to acknowledge that Peaches is removing his clothing cuz he's so stressed out right now? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's trying really hard not to reveal things that he, oh, had, he yeah, knows yeah. from the comics. Uh, Don't have a poker face. This, <laughs> this mom, is mom, why mom. and I got so much heat for this back in high school. I would watch the Harry Potter movies before reading the books. I've read all the books. I've watched all the movies, but my order was watch the movie first, then read the book because I didn't want to. I enjoy film more. I didn't want to just sit there and stew and be like, well, they changed this and they changed that. I would rather get the condensed film version and then read really the good, book later. You that know? was a really good impression you did of Chris right after he watched Prisoner of Azkaban. How dare you yes. bring that up on this <laughs> podcast with him sitting right there. <laughs> I have... We've had the we've had the we've, same we've had this talk yes. before. <laughs> Trust me, whatever you've talked to him about, President Vascaban, so have I. <laughs> it's the one thing he and our friend Brady agree on. <laughs> we agree on a number of things. That's true. That Less is true. than ten, though. Yeah, three. <laughs> Seven is still a number. <laughs> I think if you had seven of something, you'd say that was like several. That's okay. It depends on the context. That's the Doctor Who quote. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. like uh, pieces of pizza? No. Murders? Yes. Or I forget what the actual quote oh. is. But Seven pieces of pizza also feels like a lot. It depends on the day. Not to share with pals. I don't know. Well, I was thinking about Lazy Moon earlier, so seven slices of Lazy Moon pizza? <laughs> I think that's, I would, that's too many. Be I would coma. explode. Yeah. For you non-Orlando folks. <laughs> yeah, look up Lazy Moon Pizza. I, I think it is a chain, but it's like probably around here. And the slices, they get served to you on a regular-sized pizza tray. 
because yeah. the slice takes up the whole tray. The, one slice. The pizza is like three feet in diameter. Uh-huh. Maybe four. Like it's huge. It's huge. Hey, another God, local we're just, thing. We're just throwing out <laughs> local, local reference <laughs> after local reference. This is a regional podcast. Buy appliance yeah, direct. <laughs> That's the wacky noo-noo. Um, lazy moon night. Got it. Let's go. Oh. We get a brief glimpse of adult Mark stalking the halls of the psych ward, and Stephen follows the boy uh, while thunder is heard in the distance. As the boys head to the cave, they begin to play a game of pretend. Mark is Dr. Stephen Grant, hero of the film Tomb Buster, we see in the last episode, while Randall is his assistant, Rosser. Stephen is taken aback to hear the mention of Dr. Grant, and it begins to rain. Roo is concerned, but Mark tells him not to be a baby. I don't like to be that guy and when i say that i'm completely lying because i love to be that guy be that guy <laughs> because no i offense, was but a hundred percent right last week mm-hmm. when i said that the the persona of dr stephen grant was the real way that he became like stephen grant yeah as soon as they started doing that i was like oh he was right i gotta say though like you said it on the episode and i instantly believed it. i'm like yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> for the record i'm on his team i also said that we were right. We're together. Congrats. <laughs> Proud of you guys. I need credit and validation wherever mm-hmm. I can get it. <laughs> yeah, you agreed with them so fast that it sounded like something you had also considered. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> there is another brief shot of adult Mark trying to find a way into his memory. And back in the past, Stephen follows the boys to the cave entrance. Looking down, Stephen realizes that he stepped on a bird skeleton with a familiar looking skull. What could that mean? Okay, and that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once again, what is happening? Yeah, I'm now I, I'm not going to answer that question. However, I do want to insert an early recommendation. Lost, <laughs> <laughs> because it's a huge spoiler for Lost. But uh, there, there's a lot of weird things like that where it's like, yeah. were these people destined to do this all along? You right. know, I would think when you're when you're going through the afterlife, the memories that you're revisiting should in theory be perfect versions of those memories because oh, memory memory is weird yeah right but memory is weird and often we insert things that didn't actually happen into our memories or we remember we think we remember things but we've really only been told like about them. berenstein bears yeah that thing versus berenstein bears yeah I think that one's because we can't read. Yeah, <laughs> as kids, I think, I think everybody. You yeah. see so many Steen names. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah names I think that end in like that. I think they're just... just a surprising amount of dyslexic people out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's very possible too. Okay, but Mandela effect is the point. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, that that's a good point. But yeah. So the question is, was that dead bird that looked like Conchu actually there? Is that something that's been inserted in the memory later? Right. Is it a coincidence? Is it his dying brain creating more confusion? Is it a hallucination because he has damage, like psychological damage? I mean... I don't know. And you start to get into... I don't even want to look at you. You start to get into <laughs> the realm of, look over here. are these memories actually even real? Uh-huh. Are these his real memories or has Conchu been getting fucky with his brain? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I yeah, should nah, have been. Nah, 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 nah. I feel like I should have been placed in like a booth. <laughs> just <open laughs> like, so we can't see you. Yeah, just like a, a. You should have stayed home. Yeah, yeah you, you could have been remote today. Yeah, and not on camera. Yeah. <laughs> 
Ah, oh, man, I want to answer this so badly. Don't. I, I won't. I won't. I'll be good. Be good. Steven realizes that the cave is in danger of flooding and starts calling for the boys. In the hospital, Mark searches for the right door, desperately calling for Steven to come back. Mark stops what at door? one door when he sees his mother staring back at him with contempt. Another great mystery show. That's Westworld. Oh. Uh, if you're going to watch Westworld, watch the first season and then pretend like the other ones yeah, never Forget happened. about That's it. That's what I did. Forever. <laughs> Good on you. I have not seen two or three. Good on Just you. Just don't. Okay. Yeah. I've never seen three, but two. One was so good. One was yeah. incredible. Two is not good. Oh, I think some of my theories from this show came from Westworld, now that you say it out loud. I think it's part of the, well, I don't want to ruin Westworld season one for anybody, but there's some timeline things about like when you, is what you're watching happening in chronological order? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Not to spoil anything, but that's just, uh, you know, think about that for a second. Okay, I did. Okay. <laughs> As the water rises in the cave, we see Steven still calling for the boys. We can hear a dut mark breathing heavily <laughs> over the sea. Screw you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Telling himself it's just a memory. Randall desperately calls for his mother. In the hospital, Mark finds a new door. Stepping through the door, Mark walks into his old home, where his family and other mourners are sitting... Is it Shiva? Shiva. Shiva. In Jewish tradition, the seven-day mourning period following the burial of a family member. Stephen is there too, dripping wet still from the flooded cave. Elias tries to comfort Wendy, who looks more angry than sad. I want my row-row back, she says. Young Mark gingerly makes his way downstairs, but when his mother sees him, he st- she stops him. You were supposed to keep him safe, she yells, as adult Mark tries to convince Stephen to leave this memory. You let him down, Wendy continues. This is all your fault. Young Mark runs back upstairs with Stephen following him while adult Mark warns him to stop. Upstairs, Stephen finds himself in the same room, but on a different day, Mark's birthday. Elias calls for Wendy to join them, but she does not respond. Mark says that she's not coming, and his father explains that Wendy is not feeling well, so they'll celebrate with just the two of them this year. Stephen goes upstairs and once again is in the same room on another one of Mark's birthdays. Elias gives his son a cake, while Wendy, clearly drunk, tells Mark that he was always jealous of Roro. I should have known that you would do something like this, she says. Mark runs upstairs. Mom, what are you doing, Stephen asks, before following the boy. It was already bad enough that we got the, like, you knew that the kid was going to die. Like, that was bad enough. And then, like, this scene in particular, like... Just knowing that there are people out there who are that cruel, like it just yeah. it really hurt to watch. And then they show you a second birthday party, yeah, on top of the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it just it was yeah, even a year, at least one year later, she's still right. You know? Yeah, so you have to imagine that he has endured something like that for years for mm-hmm. for more than just a minute. That's really tough. Young Mark slams his bedroom door, but before Stephen can open it fully, adult Mark pulls Stephen away, and they are suddenly outside. Stephen asks Mark why he is remembering their mother like that, insisting that she wasn't like that. Suddenly, we see a teenage Mark walking down the street with a duffel bag, as his father follows behind him, trying to convince him to stay. Elias tells Mark that Wendy will get help and fix this. Mark replies that Elias is supposed to fix this, and wonders why he hasn't. Elias sadly says he cannot lose another son. Stephen approaches them, but adult Mark tackles him. Suddenly, we are in Egypt. Surrounded by a burning camp 
and dead bodies. Stephen disgustedly tells Mark that Harrow told him Mark was a mercenary who killed hostages. Mark asks Stephen if he believes that. Stephen says he wouldn't put it past him. Mark explains that he was discharged from the military after going AWOL in a fugue state. With no other options, he became a mercenary for his old CO, Bushman. The job was to raid an Egyptian tomb, but Bushman changed the plan, demanding no witnesses. And thus dies the Jake is Bushman theory. Yeah. It was a long-lived... (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. One day. I mean, there is a chance that Jake is Bushman. It could be, yeah. And it's just not Jake, it's just called, you know... Raphael Bushman is his third mm. personality. Mm. Thanks, Raul. Raul. Sorry. <laughs> Raphael on the brain. Wow. <laughs> I wonder why I chose that yeah, name. Interesting. <laughs> Mark says he couldn't abide by that, but then Stephen sees the body of Dr. Abdullah L. Fowley, Layla's father, wearing the handmade scarf Harrow described in the previous episode. Mark says that he tried to get the hostages away, but they didn't make it. What happened to you, Stephen asks. Mark just points. Looking to where Mark is pointing, Stephen sees a temple and a mortally wounded Mark dragging himself inside. Mark stops in front of the statue of Kanchu and is ready to kill himself when he hears a voice in his head. What a waste. Oh, yeah, another, just another heavy thing. Just yeah, yeah. a little, tiny little sprinkle in the episode of him about to, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. As if we didn't have enough. This was a tough one. When he yeah, when he puts the gun up to his chin, I'm like, this mm-hmm. does Ugh. not feel like Disney. Yeah. Like, yeah, parental guidance, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, this one behind the parental control wall. Yeah, yeah. but you better not be watching Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she broke off her engagement. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> the voice says he feels Mark's pain and introduces himself as the god Conchu, in search of a warrior to be his hands, eyes, and vengeance. Conchu says he senses Mark's fractured mind and that he is a worthy candidate to serve him in this time. He asks Mark if he swears to protect the travelers of the night and bring Conchu's vengeance to those who would do them harm. Stephen tells Mark that Conchu was manipulating him from the start. Mark replies that it gave him a chance to continue being what he'd always been, a killer. Somebody told me (laughs) that I was a killer and I am a killer. (laughs) In the memory, Mark pledges himself to Conchu, and he is reborn as Moon Knight. Stephen notices that the scales are nearly balanced, but is interrupted when he hears monkeys screeching. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Did you hate it when you <laughs> hear That was a weird transition. Screech. Yeah. Like, oh, are the scales balanced? That's supposed to be the, the afterlife and like their, their like visualization of the afterlife. And suddenly in the boat slash mental hospital slash tomb, there are monkeys running around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah never know. Are <laughs> uh, monkeys? There are monkeys? Yeah. Yeah, when they cut back to the boat, you see monkeys like two, running like, out. <laughs> Very CGI oh. looking monkey is just running around it was, on the boat. It was a really weird thing. Jeez. Yeah. I've seen this twice. I didn't notice. Well, and Arnaldo, we have talked about this, I think, on a, a previous episode, but it, it bears repeating that this, and we, did, we hadn't seen this scene yet as well, so I think it, it really matches up. I think we had theories about this, but this matches up with uh, his original origin in the comics, yeah. correct? Yeah. Something I find very interesting is how Marvel does their like retcons in the comics is that, you know, they've had this kind of one continuity for a long time. And every time they like want to do a retcon, basically they'll go and it'll be like, 
yeah, this is what happened. This is my origin story. But this time it's just a little bit different or we're going to kind of like change the color scheme and change the characters a little bit instead of like DC where it's like brand new continuity, big mm. event. Blah, Flash blah, blah. better screw something up so we can redo uh, this story. Exactly. And so <laughs> I thought um, my my podcast co-host, Berto, uh, he was telling me when we were talking about Moon Knight that he went on the Moon Knight subreddit and a bunch of people were upset at how many things that from the comics they had changed, you know. But and we and that's something we had talked about because we'd said like the show is taking bits and pieces from some comics, but mostly making something original. You know, uh, I'm not gonna look at Peaches's face. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like anything I could say right now would ruin anything. Actually, so oh, you can look okay. at my face. Okay, cool. It's I'll a it's a, it's a good face. Eye contact. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but they've uh, you know they've made some changes. <laughs> But they've also have remained very faithful in very specific ways. And this origin story of, you know, Mark becoming Moon Knight is just so straight from the comic that it's just it's kind of cool. It's like right from the 1980 Moon Knight number one, his first solo issue and his first book, uh, other than we had said he he had appeared in uh, Werewolf by Night before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this tells his origin as Mark Spector, the mercenary working for his boss, Bushman, who is like trying to do treasure hunting, right? And this is a comic where I'm going to recap it really fast and it's going to sound really interesting, but it's actually kind of bad. It's just one of those, <laughs> it's just one of those like comics from like the seventies or eighties that you're like, you read a uh, Wikipedia summary and you're like, oh, that sounds really good. And then you read the real thing and you're like, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This was the Wikipedia summary. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. They really uh, kind of, they were generous in their sum in their summary, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's basically this. You know, he goes and he um, he sort of gets Marlene's dad killed. Marlene being the original inspiration for Layla. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marlene's dad, like, wants to kill Bushman for, you know, treasure hunting and killing people. And just instinctually, Mark warns Bushman. He's like, hey, look out. Even though he already knew this guy and he knew that guy was innocent and he knows Bushman is evil. He kind of fucked it up by just, like... You know, saying this thing, that's how he feels responsible for Layla's dad or Marlene's uh, dad getting killed, which I thought was very interesting. But then later, uh, you know, he gets into another fight with Bushman and Bushman beats the crap out of him and just leaves him in the desert with all these corpses that they had just like freshly murdered. Uh, so anyway, he's not like it mortally wounded in this, but he is stuck in the middle of the desert where he will die. Right. Uh, he proceeds to just kind of walk around and wander for a day or two. Uh, and in like on death's door, he finds Conchu's tomb and uh, Marlene is already there. Actually, they're they're studying Conchu's tomb. And Marlene is like, this guy's dying, but he sucks because he's responsible for my dad's death. So we're going to leave him here to rot. But actually, wait a second. He's very handsome. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's literally in the comic. Uh, but wait, he's so handsome. Uh, so she decides to maybe we should take him back with us. Then he wakes up. Back from the dead, Kanchu already did his thing or whatever. Uh, he beats up Bushman's people. And then, and I swear to God, in a half a panel, it is explained, it's the most jarring thing, that he returns to New York City, he develops three identities, and I quote, he is still Mark Spector, and he becomes Stephen Grant, whose Wall Street wizardry parlays Spector's modest savings into a millionaire's fortune. <laughs> They just say that? Yes. They just speak it into existence? Yada, yada, yada. He's rich now. And I'm like, what? 
how does one just become a millionaire? Like, why is he out like being a mercenary if he could have just parlayed his wizardry Wall Street they skills? They just ran out of budget. <laughs> it sounds like they're like, oh, we can't pay for the rest of this. I had to read that panel three times. I'm like, are you seriously just going to switch gears this quickly and introduce like two more personas that he has? Because at the time, they weren't multiple personalities. They were just personas that he had to be sly. Right, like he was fully yeah, controlled. Like right? aliases. They were, exactly, right, yeah. they were aliases. But the fact that he just becomes a millionaire because he wants to be is just is hilarious <laughs> I to me. Know yeah. it was that easy. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? Stop eating so avocado to be. toast. He picked himself up by his bootstraps. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the good changes they made because it is very Bruce Wayne, you know. Oh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention from that comic is that he adds. Then he adds Jake Lockley to the list of selves. Jake, a street smart cabbie who hears everything. That's his introduction, by the way. This whole thing. Amazing. <laughs> that is interesting that, I mean, I guess it makes sense if that subreddit was full of people upset that it doesn't match the first origin story. A thing I do feel comfortable saying about the run that I read was that I felt that this version of the origin that we saw in the show was almost one-to-one with his origin that is explained in that comic. Yeah. Where he he is hired by Bushman. He goes with Bushman to that dig site. Bushman is already a well-known kind of like thug. So they're like, ah, shit, Bushman's here. We don't want to deal with you. Go away. Mm -hmm. He turns to violence. Mark tries to stop Bushman from hurting people and gets hurt in the process. So Bushman kills everybody except for Marlene and one other random guy and then leaves everyone else to die. Hmm. And then when Mark is like crawling to the tomb, that is almost like shot for shot with what is in that comic. It's this like almost the same outfit. He crawls yeah. into the tomb. He gets the powers of Conchu and then, you know, we move on from there. But it's interesting to hear people upset that it doesn't match the very first origin when it definitely matches an origin. Well, I, I think they're more upset about things like, you know, you change Stephen Grant and you're changing maybe Jake and you're changing all these other things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Marlene is Layla and like he has superpowers now when in the comics it's very uh, ambiguous whether he's sometimes he's strong, sometimes he's not. Yeah. So, but I before this scene also, I wanted to touch up on and I think we're going to mention it towards the end also is that i really enjoy how they casted very latino for this you know we joked around off air that oscar isaac jokes that his name is oscar estrada, estrada isaac hernandez or something like that it's mm -hmm. something very latino and they picked his whitest names you know and he <laughs> could be kind of racially ethnically ambiguous like he could pass for all kinds of things and mark specter is not latino by origin by in the comics so for them to go well oscar isaac is guatemalan cuban let's cast his whole family as latino and yeah it's a little bit weird that they're jewish but also mark specter is jewish because a lot of latinos aren't jewish but it, it did feel you know me as a puerto rican maybe you too eduardo is that it did feel very kind of loyal to i mean they're they're doing all this loyalty to egyptian culture and they're really making sure they get it right you know hiring the right people doing the right things Again, I think we mentioned, or at least I've mentioned before, like the composer was like, yeah, we're going to break the the Egyptian music stereotypes, of which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> but I guess that is a problem in Egyptian music that in the movies, it's very stereotypical, mm -hmm. you know. And so for them to also do the same thing and be like, well, Oscar Isaac is Latino. So like we're fully going in on 
Mark Spector being Latino and this is a very Latino family, I thought that was that was quite touching. I, I quite like that. I think it's interesting that, you know, they didn't really make a big deal out of it before the show came on either. You'd think that they would have maybe, I don't want to say, I, I don't want this to sound cynical or anything, but you know, this is Marvel's first big Latino superhero, right? I, Am I yeah, I guess, one? yeah, yeah. And, but they, you're right; they never mentioned that. Yeah, Luis. Oh yeah, there is Luis. Uh, yeah, I mean he's there a superhero in he's my heart. He's super at sure. telling stories. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is that is quite the power. <laughs> I mean, we did also get uh, in the future. They put a t- they they did an Eduardo Madlib and just asked me a bunch of different adjectives, and I, they were like, Eduardo, uh, what would you want to be if you could be anything? And I'd be like, uh, Luchador. And they're like, all right, uh, uh, what's your favorite cinematic universe? Marvel. Uh, uh, what's an artist you really like? Uh, I don't know, uh, Bad Bunny. Uh- yeah. <laughs> well, monkey's paw, though, it's the Sony Marvel Universe. That's- <laughs> yeah, and yes. also, also, it's, again, the Sony Marvel Universe, but we also have Oscar Isaac as Spider-Man 2099. That's true. That Fair. is true. Fair and and he is Latino twenty ninety nine yeah but that's right yeah I thought was super interesting is yeah they didn't really play that up at all we didn't even know that he was Latino until just now mm-hmm. um like in story obviously we know Oscar Isaac is but DC's making a big deal about the first Latino superhero being Blue Beetle right yeah but kind of Marvel's like uh, actually we got you beat and we're not even gonna we're not even gonna flex we're not it. even gonna talk about it <laughs> and by the way he's also our first Jewish superhero. <laughs> There's so many boxes checked here, yeah. but in a good way, you know. The Blue Beetle, that's gonna be the dude from uh, from Cobra Kai, right? Yes. Uh, I forget his name. It's really it's, it's Mr. Got, Miyagi. It's one of those names that has an X in it that I can never pronounce correctly because I'm not right. Mexican Nas? De- of Mexican descent. <laughs> yes, Lonas. I think George Lopez is in it too, isn't he? Yes, I believe he it's, is. It's like an, it's gonna be an all-star kind of Latino <laughs> cast. I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. Like, to that. Uh, it's just you know Gabriel Iglesias, George Lopez. <laughs> You know. J Lo, maybe J Lo, bro. If J Lo was in that movie, Antonio oh Banderas, just yeah, uh, just so lot. Sofia Vergara is his mom. She's basically, uh, she's basically Aunt May, but she's Aunt Maria. Uh, I got her she picture. She plays it exactly the way she does on Modern Family. It's exactly the same. Titi Maria. Well, back on Tawera Chip, things are getting chaotic. To where it says that in the upper world, unbalanced souls are being judged or condemned to the sands before their time. Stephen sells, sells, tells to where it that this is why they need to go back. To where it replies that even if she could send them back, they'd just be returning to a body with a bullet in it. Stephen asks if word could be sent to Layla to free it, so that they could gain their healing armor. To where it says if he's sure... Since thus far it seemed like they want to get away from him, Mark says he did, but this is only but this is their only shot. To where it relents, saying Osiris won't like this, uh, but his gate is the only path back. She sends them back inside to complete their task of balancing the scales. Back in the hospital, Stephen says they should go back to the bedroom and that Mark didn't want him to see. Mark says he'd rather just talk about it, saying it's not worth it to try to go through that again. Stephen retorts that if they don't go get back and stop Hera and all these people, including Layla, die, that it will all be Mark's fault. Mark begins screaming in protest and has a breakdown, repeatedly slapping himself and shouting, I won't do it. You can't make me. Suddenly, Dr. Hera puts his hands on Mark's shoulder in an attempt to calm him, and we are back in the office. Mark, still lacking the scratch from his earlier Hera scene, asks if Harrow injected him with something. 
Harrow replies that Mark has seen too many movies and that they are not allowed to involuntarily sedate patients unless absolutely necessary. Harrow says that he's proud of Mark for reliving these traumatic memories because they can look and feel so real and he's been at it for hours. He hands Mark a glass of water and Mark peers at his reflection. Harrow asks Mark if he thinks he created Stephen to hide from the awful things he feels he's done in his life, or if Stephen created Mark to punish the word for what his mother did to him. Harrow says the only way to know is to open up to Stephen, saying there could be no progress without understanding. You know, it's interesting, this whole scene with Mark adds another like level of what is the real world? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't have the nose thing anymore. Things are clearly different. He it, claims he didn't inject right, the... which could be a lie. But yeah, either way, yeah. he like looks different. It's clearly like a different, like a slightly different scene. Mm-hmm. Like how much of this is just happening in Mark's head? Like we don't, we don't know. But suddenly, God damn it, we are in <laughs> young Mark's room. He violently clears off his table, then sits in the corner of the room next to the mirror, having what might be a panic attack. Adult Mark and Stephen are also in the room, and we see that Mark has framed the incomplete fish drawing that Roro made on the day he died. Stephen says this is his room, and he remembers some things, but not this. We hear banging on the door and Wendy demanding to be let in. The child keeps repeating under his breath, That's not my mom. His eyes roll back in his head, and suddenly... He is speaking with an English accent. Bloody hell. Look at the state of this place. Stephen walks towards him and says with him, Better sort it out before mum sees it. (laughs) Stephen looks up and sees the poster for Tomb Buster hanging on the wall and reads aloud the tagline, When danger is near, Steve Grant has no fear. Stephen realizes the truth. Mark created him as a coping mechanism. At the same time, Wendy gets into the room. Grabbing a belt, she says, You're going to learn to listen. Against Stephen's protest that he wants to see what she did, Mark pulls Stephen out of the room back into the hospital. I'll also note that we hear lots of sounds while this is happening. Mm -hmm. We hear Wendy call her son a disgusting human and ask why he makes her do this, and we hear the sound of him being beaten with the whip. It's a belt, but... Did I put whip? I'm sorry. I was just too sad. So when you talked about the scene earlier, the way I interpret this scene, and this might be different than the way that you guys interpreted the scene, I think the original part of this story, we were led to believe that Mark is the one that has everything under control and he's the brave one and he is the strong one. And we have been shown little by little by little that Mark is actually just a coward. And my interpretation of this scene is that Mark created Stephen to endure these awful moments so that he doesn't have to. So secretly, Stephen is the strong one. Stephen is the strong one because Stephen is the one because he changes into Stephen and then his mom comes in. Well, uh, my interpretation is that he changed back because Stephen has no idea that his mom has ever hit him. But I think that's Mark doing that. I think that is Mark somehow subconsciously removing that from Stephen as a person. But he also tells Stephen, he's like, I'm that that's the whole purpose of you to remember her better. Oh, uh, yeah. I think he must have changed back then. I think he changes back. Because but, Stephen doesn't know that he so got then beat. why yeah. did we change to Stephen and then immediately change back? Like, because, what's the purpose Because of he was afraid. Just to show us, I guess. He was afraid of his mom banging at the door, and that's what put him into a panic state. And so he changed, and then you saw right when he changed, he, he 
for a second forgot there was someone banging at the door. I need to clean this up before my mom sees it. Then the mom walks in, and I think we don't see his eyes roll back, but he must have gone back to Mark because if he didn't, Stephen wouldn't have wanted to see what happened. Yeah. Because he would have I mean, known Stephen what happened. I mean, even says, like, she wasn't like that. Why are you remembering her yeah. like that? Because I, my, at least my interpretation of it is that Mark is not letting Stephen remember these things. There is something happening in Mark's brain that is stopping Stephen because that's not Stephen's purpose. Stephen's purpose is endure these things and be happy. And so at least the way that I interpreted that. I think the purpose is denial. Yeah. I think what it is is I think you're right that Mark in these instances maybe might be a bit of a coward because he doesn't want to endure it. But at the same time, I don't know if the purpose is similar. I think Steven comes out when he's like in denial about what his mom has done. And then Mark comes back out to like take on the truth, but he probably doesn't do it that well. Yeah. I think Steven is a product of a child wishing that his mom was something she's not. And living into a fantasy where my mom is very sweet and we love each other. And also she's still alive. Uh, and I speak to her all the time, and my my upbringing was amazing, and I think that's where that personality kind of manifests from. But no, I don't, I don't know if I'd agree with uh with if, all that. I mean, if that's the case, then I find the scene confusing, because I think the the I think the point of yeah, changing him that. at that point sends a different message. I totally get that because we're also assuming that he changed back, right? Based yeah, on the context of different scenes, right? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I will say, I, at least at this stage in his life, I think it is unfair to call Mark a coward. Certainly not young Mark. No, no. Yeah. I don't think young Mark is necessarily a coward, but I think he has eventually... I think that is what he thinks of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's, I think, I Mark. I think that is, that is more of what I mean. Is like he considers himself... Like, yeah. he... the He's very... Um, He's very hard on himself, mm-hmm. and he th- he doesn't think very highly of himself. Yeah, and he feels like he can't confront these things from his past, and he tries to stuff them into a box. And that, I think, is something that, to varying degrees, a lot of people have gone through. But, you know, his is obviously a little bit, excuse me, a little bit more extreme version of that. And I think we see that the most when he is talking to Stephen in the hallway saying, let's just talk about this. So we don't have to, we don't have to go through this again because his whole purpose is that he, I don't know if it's, I think it's a combination of him not wanting to have to relive them. Cause I'm sure he does relive it in his brain a lot, but also wanting to sort of keep the innocence of steven's illusion of his life intact as well totally i think there is a level of i think he cares about steven at this point as as a full person you know i I think and we see that again at the end when he's so distraught when steven falls off the boat yeah you know it it didn't read to me at least like oh no i've lost him i'm doomed he seemed sad that he had lost Stephen. I think he sees Stephen as almost another, as another person at this point. And, you know, the one person who can understand him in a lot of ways. It's a show, man. It's just so much. Have you guys, have any of you watched Severance? 
Not no. yet. Not no. Yet. Do you guys know the premise of Severance? No. I do know the premise. I don't. Don't tell me. It's on my list. Okay. With Lost. Okay. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's first. a similar somebody forgetting their trauma, mm-hmm. f- like choosing to forget their trauma type thing. And it, it, I see a lot of similarities here. Yeah. Can we, I just say, like, I really, the MCU and a lot of, you know, pop culture has, especially with this as, like, superheroes. Like, we, we choose to show superheroes that are just, like, so well put together. They got everything figured out, you know? And it's, there's this moment that where they, because you read a lot. <laughs> like, we, we we fast forward a lot through this episode. Is that uh, that moment where Marcus, like, slapping himself in the face because he's having a legitimate mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And there's something there to... I mean, we've talked a lot about representation, but there's something there like superheroes can be mentally not well also like it's not you know it's so easy for us to just kind of put superheroes on a pedestal this thing that these people that don't exist in real life and be like yeah we all want to be them but i'm not them because i have depression or adhd or any one of these mental illnesses or mental conditions and here is a character who is doing both and he's not having a good time at it and it's not easy but there he is you know, like he's he's there. He's in this universe, and I I think there is something to be said there. You know, yeah, absolutely. I think there is something to be said with you. Even the people that are out there succeeding and doing incredible things, and you know, doing things well, could have these these sort of I don't want to call them demons, but it's just mm-hmm. what's what's coming to mind. Um, mm-hmm. But they can have these sort of uh, conditions or issues or whatever you want to call it as well. So just because somebody uh, out there is succeeding, it does not mean that they are without their own set of problems. Yeah, it's like they always say, you never know what a person is going through. Yeah. You never know what struggles, you know, even the people that you think look put together and happy and successful. You don't know what's going on at home. Exactly. I think this is going to be a big deal for... You know, we talk about these are superhero movies and they're made for children. Adults get to enjoy them on the side. And it, there's obviously different variations of that, like who this is for or whatever. Yeah, there's a parental guideline on this. I don't think there's that many children watching Moon Knight. But I think that there are a lot of teenagers watching Moon Knight who might be going through mental struggles. Uh, and I think this, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, might be an overall positive for teenagers probably like we were that watched a bunch of superhero stuff because that's what we're into um but now is a a slightly more slightly better reflection of who we may be at that time in our lives you know because i mean we're adults we're all in our 30s i want to say right like we Mm -hmm. we feel like we got this all this figured out but there were probably a time in our lives where we didn't and we were going through uh mental health issues or dare i say crises and this, like I was alluding before, this this probably means something to someone or a lot of people going through that, and in a very interesting and difficult age, you know. Mm-hmm. Back in the hospital, Mark tells Stephen he doesn't need to see that, calling it the whole point of him. Stephen punches Mark, distraught at the revelation that he is not the original. I mean, I think he punched. I don't think it's. I'm going to disagree with your writing here, Chris. I okay. don't think 
it is just because he's distraught at the revelation of not being the original. I think he's distraught of not just being not the original, but also the reason why he exists even in the first oh, place. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a, it feels like Mark has been lying to him this whole time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lie of a mission is still a lie. Mm-hmm. And then finding out that your whole existence is a lie to make someone else's life more bearable. Right. I mean, that has to feel like a betrayal of well, sorts. We've, mm. we've talked about DID before, um, and it, if it's similar to the DID, that we un- the way that we understand it, um, you don't remember what happens when the other person is in control, the other part of you is in mm-hmm. control. And so it is a way for Mark to sort of shut off. Yeah. He shuts off and he doesn't have to... He doesn't have to think about all of these things that he's going through. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that we then get to the point where he talks about them sort of bleeding into each other. And that's when they sort of became cognizant of one another. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Mark's always been aware of Steven, but like he, I think he even said like, you know, it takes a lot of work to even be a fly on the wall. Yeah. I think Mark is, he, he at least has the ability to watch Steven's life even though maybe he he may shut it off also. Right, that makes sense. Mark tells Stephen that he got to like a ha- live a happy, simple, normal life, and that it doesn't matter because it's better than living with the knowledge that he had an abusive mother. Mark says Stephen has gotten to live thinking that she loved him, and even that she uh, she is still alive. Stephen stops at this, saying that he speaks to her every day. Mark reveals that he got a call from his dad about her shiva, but he couldn't do it. Stephen breaks down at this, shouting, let me out, and we are back in Dr. Harrow's office. Startled, Stephen this time throws the water he's holding in Harrow's face. Stephen stands up and apologizes, but once he sees Harrow's face, he's taken aback. Harrow recognizes this personality as Stephen, saying it's good to see him again. Stephen is confused as to what's going on, recognizing Harrow as the cult leader, despite the man's assertion that he is Stephen's doctor. Stephen notices his diploma on the wall and Harrow's Ned Flanders mustache. Amazing. <laughs> Loved it. I did enjoy that. Little tash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harrow says he was beginning to fear he may never get to speak to Stephen again. Harrow asks if Mark spoke to Stephen, and Stephen says Mark lied to him. Harrow says when Stephen first came to him, he was afraid Stephen would never be able to acknowledge Mark. Stephen is surprised by the implication that he chose to come there. Harrow says it was after Stephen's mother passed. Stephen yells that Harrow is lying, and Harrow quickly apologizes, saying he must be mistaken, and offers to call her, saying they gave her his number. They gave her number on file. Excuse me, they have her number on file. I didn't spell check. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. (laughs) Stephen tries to stop Harrow, but he persists. Harrow hands Stephen the phone, but he just stares at the phone. My mom is dead, he finally admits. You know, uh, Arnaldo, this is, it's a, it's a really interesting tool for Harrow to use in regards to handing him the phone because it feels like it's something they've worked through before, that Stephen knows that his mother isn't around anymore. I thought it was great because he, you know, Harrow is doing a great job I think as a psychiatrist or a psychologist or some sort of therapist, any one of those where he is asking Stephen to face reality in a very tangible way. He's like, well, let's just, you know, if your mom's alive, let's just call her. And that really is going to break down the barrier of someone's denial 
when they're forced to actually, you know, put up or shut up, you know. And uh, he's like, yeah, of course we have her phone number. Let's call her. You know, he's lying because he the phone at the end of the day when he hands he holds up is just a dial tone. Mm-hmm. First of all, uh, Gen Z doesn't know what a dial tone is. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's kind of like, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, hiya. It's hiya. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Gen horrible... Z does understand that. Okay, great. Yeah. It's a horrible sound you hear on a phone that tells you it works properly and it's ready to make a phone call. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's no one on the other the other end, which is what's important, right? Um, <laughs> and it it doesn't take the dial tone for Stephen to realize that his mom is dead. It takes the threat of calling her for him to come to grips with it. So he's always known all along. It kind of plays in part with how. They are the same person. And even though their regular consciousness may hide things or think different things because of their DID, deep down in their subconscious, they are the same person. They have they share the same brain and they know the same things. Right. And it is such a kind of poignant moment where Stephen finally comes to grips that his mom was dead just by being presented with the very tangible. Well, then call your mom if she's alive. Um, I also thought that was a great kind of symbol to use later in the episode where he's constantly calling his mom and i, I don't know if any of you guys did in episode one i was always already like Call mom's mom. not real mm-hmm. you know oh. like he's talking to yeah. nothing yeah yeah i you thought know. i thought so too it's yeah. just always a voicemail come on oh sorry i missed you again latest you know and when he later on in this episode uh calls his mom on the phone you can see on the screen there's nobody there it's just the ui of the phone yeah meaning mm. that he is in such denial that subconsciously he knows he's not calling anybody, but he's playing out the scenario either way. And in that conversation he has with her, it's not a voicemail. He's talking to her and she's talking back to him in his mind. He's, she's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's responding to her. He's like, yeah, I got lost again. Like, Oh no, bug us. Mm -hmm. Everyone's driving on the wrong side of the road. (laughs) Why am I not in London? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I thought I thought it was a great little tool to use the phone as a symbol and God like oh this is just a heavy episode. <laughs> yeah, boy. We are back in another memory at Mark's childhood home. Mourners are sitting Shiva for Wendy. Elias looks out the window and sees Mark standing on the sidewalk. The same memory Mark downplayed as just a street earlier in the episode. Mark takes a drink from a flask and Elias motions for his son to come inside. Mark shakes his head no and walks away. Walking down the middle of the road, he mutters to himself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. He then breaks down crying in the street. Stephen watches Mark as he tears his kippah off of his head and slams it on the ground, before clutching it to his heart and sobbing that he is so sorry. Suddenly, Mark's eyes roll back in his head, and he suddenly stops crying. Stephen is now in control and confused as to where he is. He pulls out his phone and begins talking to his mum, telling her he's lost again. We can briefly see the screen of his phone, revealing that he's not talking to anyone at all. Stephen tells, or excuse me, Mark tells Stephen that this was two months ago and is when their lives started bleeding into each other. Mark says that he couldn't face all the things he'd done. Mark tells Stephen that their mother was wrong and that none of it was Mark's fault. Suddenly, the earth shakes. Stephen realizes that the ship has just dropped. Back on the deck, we see that the ship has stopped in front of the gates of Osiris, the passage back to the living world. Unfortunately, to wear it, 
says their scales never balance and therefore they cannot pass through and that the unbalanced souls of the Duat will now claim theirs. Sand zombies, the same ones we saw in the cafeteria earlier, climb onto the ship and begin attacking Steven and Mark. Steven manages to tilt the ship to buy Mark some time, but Mark is knocked out and the souls begin dragging him to take him overboard. Steven realizes that if he is Mark, he can handle the situation just as well as Mark could and begins fighting off the souls himself. Peach, you're finally ready hey. to divulge some comic uh, goodness to us. Tell us. Yeah, I don't, I, this isn't going to reveal too much. I just think that this scene is cool because one of the plot points that is uh, some point in the middle of the overall plot that I will talk about next week in that comic run is that Mark comes to this conclusion that the only way that he can successfully do the thing that he's trying to do in the comics is if he eliminates his other personas. So he is in this like this kind of like headspace where he confronts Jake, he confronts Steven, and he confronts the space version of Mark. Space Mark. Um, and he and he basically dismisses them. Uh, he starts with Space Mark because that one's new, and he's like, I don't even really have a connection to you. You can just go, and he goes away. You're ridiculous. Get yeah. Out of here. And then he fights Jake off, and then he asks Steven politely to leave. <laughs> and then they're, they aren't there anymore, or so he thinks. And so later, when he's in this other headspace situation, uh, he is being fought by all of these like Egyptian like goons they are like there's like a pharaoh and these goons are like trying to kill mark and he is in a lot of danger and suddenly the personalities that he thought he dismissed come to his rescue and they fight they help fight off Mm. the goons Mm. and i thought that this was a very cool similarity to that plot point in the comic run where it's not steven and jake and space mark but at some point Steven is like, wait, no, I can help this guy. And he comes to Mark's rescue. And they unfortunately don't both make it out, uh, or so we think. But I just thought it was a cool way to kind of maybe be a parallel storyline to something that we see in the comics. So, yeah, there's your spoiler for the comic. He thinks he needs to get rid of all of them. Then he learns, no, we're much better if we come to an understanding and work together. Mark's strong together. Yes. (laughs) It's it's just so great how this show has pulled from so many different comics and yet made something wholly original. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, yeah, that's kind of how these things should be done. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too because the the version of Steven in that run doesn't really like to fight. He is he is the like uh like movie producer. Um he's like you know, helping direct this movie and producing the whole thing. And so he does not like to get into the physical altercations and neither does this version of Steven, but he'll do it if he has to, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like another weird plot point where like they interact with Anubis and they're trying to like rescue Anubis's wife from the, uh, from some prison, which hmm. the prison is being kind of like guarded by these Egyptian goons. Okay, and so that's why they're there in the first place. And so Stephen and Anubis's wife are working together. Like he is like directing her towards people to fight, <laughs> and she's fighting them. Like that's how he helps fight. Okay. Is he is 
he is like pairing up with Anubis's wife. I don't remember her name. Huh. Probably starts with an A. <laughs> I'm really excited to see, uh, hopefully, in the next episode, now that Steven understands that he and Mark are the same person and that they have a lot of the same skills. I'm excited to see Mr. Knight with those like stick looking things. Yo, he better use those sticks. Yo, mm-hmm. I need mm-hmm. them to use this and not just have shown them off in the second episode because they well, are so cool. It's like Chekhov wrote, you don't show off sticks in the first act if you don't beat someone with them in the third. Yeah, so. I think I agree. <laughs> I, it's crazy how little superheroing this show has done. Yeah. Where yeah. now I'm like, God, we've seen Moon Knight in action for, I, I think, a cumulative, like, four minutes. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it's if that. If I'm going to be honest, it's maybe been, like, the weakest part of the whole show. Like, it's fine for what it is, but it doesn't, it almost doesn't even fit with the rest of the show. Like, I, I almost feel like there's a quota they need to fill in this next episode of just, like, we need to have some punching. Yeah. <laughs> with the sticks. It's and, weird. and the sticks. And I want to see the sticks do that detaching thing where he pushes the button and they shoot out like a whip. Well, that d- doesn't is... Stephen Grant, use, Dr. Stephen Grant have a whip, or am I just conflating him with Indiana Jones that and would, assuming? Th- I mean, it, okay. it looks like he had a machete. Uh, I don't okay. know what that uh, version of Stephen Grant had. Yeah. Because um, that's that's original. At was least it? at least as far as I know of the things that I've read, that's original to the show. Wasn't wasn't this show billed as like, oh, this is going to be the most violent and brutal Marvel thing ever? It was. Ever. And what they that meant was, was mental what, violence. No, no, well, yeah, what yeah. they meant was violent and brutal on your brain. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my 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 heart did get torn apart. In this he episode, did impale so. a jackal on a building. Oh shit! And he was impaled several times himself. Yeah, he there got. Was, there was some that violence felt cartoony. And... I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, no. I, well, not bad, but like no, yeah. when he's not even getting hurt, and they play it off as a joke, where he's like, "Mark, take the body back. Mark, take the body they, back." You know? uh, they beat that beat that zombie with a bat. <laughs> you know, damn sorry i blew you off i was having lunch with microsoft there, you're right there's a lot to do in episode six including uh live up to the promise of violence yeah yeah if moon knight doesn't decapitate every single one of the egyptian <laughs> gods yeah i'm canceling my disney plus subscription. if it doesn't call at least one person a fucking nerd uh-huh i'm still god waiting on damn, random yeah. bullshit go <laughs> mm-hmm Oh my God! There's this hilarious scene in the run that you that Eduardo was reading, um, which I guess chronologically comes right after the one that I read, oh. the one that I'm excited about and not sharing, where he's like Mark is like meditating in a park, and while he's meditating, he's having a conversation between himself and Jake in his head, and they're getting into an argument, and. You see the argument for a few panels, and then we pan back out to what he actually looks like in the park where he's meditating. This old woman is walking a dog, and he just yells with his eyes closed in the meditated meditating pose, something like, I'm not a douche. Yes, you are. And the old woman like gets scared, and her dog gets scared, and they run away. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's the most meme thing I've seen in the actual comic. Uh, yeah. Someone. That run is actually really funny, by the way. The, I don't know if you ended up finishing it. I haven't finished it yet, so but, I need to get further in. There. Which yeah. one's that? Um, it is uh, Crazy Runs in the Family is okay. the is that run. And I, I, if you if you look at Marvel Unlimited, there's the run that I described, which doesn't really have a name other than Moon Knight, and hmm. then it 
is bucketed into the same set as Crazy Runs in the Family. And you end up finding out why. The characters are actually drawn really similarly. The origins of the characters remain the same. And they reference that story in Crazy Runs in the Family. But that that run is actually a very comical comic. Like, there's a lot of, of funny moments. Bushman is almost like comic relief like he's a bad guy Hmm. but he's a bad guy that's like kind of in love with mark or he's like my only purpose is to be mark's enemy and i'm bad at it and i want to be good at it and like he has moments where he's like genuinely funny but he's also a shithead (laughs) so it's a good it's also been a good run so far (laughs) i recommend it i heard that i didn't hear it he said he can relate to being really funny, but also a shithead. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I feel like a shithead just for implying that I think I'm really funny. So well, like, well, there you go. It's full yeah. circle. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I'm I am a shithead because I'm funny, but I'm funny because I'm a shithead. <laughs> I've got shit on my head, but don't call me a shithead. Yo. After brutally beating several of the zombies into dust with a bat, Stephen flashes Mark a thumbs up and a smile. Mark is surprised to see Stephen handling the situation, but the relief is short-lived as another soul grabs Mark from over the side of the ship. Stephen charges it, knocking it off of Mark, but uh, falling into the sands himself. Mark watches helplessly, calling for Stephen to run, but Stephen slowly turns into a sand statue of himself as Mark calls for to wear it to stop the boat. The scales finally balance, and Mark is instantly transported to the Field of Reeds. Then we get the closing, and we get an interesting closing song there, Arnaldo. I don't know the song. I just, <laughs> I thought it was interesting because it was in Spanish. And it's called uh, Mas Allas del Sol, which means further or beyond the sun. And the lyric is, Yo tengo un hogar más allá del sol, which means I have a home beyond the sun, which seems very much like a uh, a song about kind of passing into the afterlife and I just Googled it really fast, and I did see that it is a, a song that is commonly sung at funerals uh, throughout the Latin American countries. So hmm. I thought that was very fitting. Interesting. And, I, I, you know, and I'm reminded of episode one where I thought I had very appropriate needle drops, mm-hmm. um, you know, pop, you know, songs, licensed music used throughout in a way that I said was almost James Gunnian. And that yeah. <laughs> it's very deliberate use of music to match with what's happening in the show. Um, and I thought this was another good example. So everybody but Peaches, where do we think this is going? <laughs> uh, I love that I can say, I don't know. No, I have no Peaches. idea. Freaking clue. No idea. I'm it'd, really. It'd be silly and irresponsible of us to even like speculate. Right, yeah. well, but I want to know where you think it would go. I, but that's and I might not is, even necessarily know. I just know what they did in the comic. Yeah. Well, the fact that it ended with him in the field of reeds, that threw me for another loop. Like, I don't know where you, you know where how you this go is going to end. There. I am going to answer this. We're going to be on Spaceship Earth, and we're going to hear a prompt about this ancient Egyptian pounding reeds flat, inventing papyrus. Ah. <laughs> and it's going to be Mark Spector. That nameless oh, Egyptian is actually Mark Spector. <laughs> Too bad that meant that they could take records of taxes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> episode ratings. Arnaldo, we'll start with you. What are you going to rate episode five of Moon Knight? Oh, I'm glad we're moving on because I had no idea what to say for what the future <laughs> of the MCU yeah. would be. 
I rate this 10 sad dial tones out of 10. I feel like you guys are afraid of going up to 10. Look. I did I think... last week. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot. I loved that episode. <laughs> yeah, I think this is um this is top tier Marvel stuff. If it would take a lot next week for me to not think that this is one of the best things that Marvel Studios has put out. So, yep. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm just about right there with you. I, I did I am afraid of tens. It's true. <laughs> um, but I gave this nine point five intersectional planes of untethered consciousness out of ten. Uh, <laughs> like you said, Arnaldo. I well, I, I don't want to spoil what my series ratings are going to be, but assuming they stick the landing, this is going to be very high. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Who's next? Uh, Peach. What about you? Yeah, I. I think the only reason I wouldn't give this one a 10 because I have mentioned this before. I do love sad stuff. I love well I love well-written sad stories. But I also think that some sad stories are more rewatchable than others and because this one has some very traumatic themes, it is not something I would want to rewatch a whole bunch. Rewatching it the second time just for familiarity in this discussion was a little tough. Uh so I gave it what did I give it? 9. Yes, you did. I gave it nine. Let me see this laptop for a second. <laughs> nine goblets half full out of ten. There we go. So, you know, four and a half half-filled goblets. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like I have to justify. I also gave it a nine, and I want to, like, justify why yeah. I gave it a nine. Uh, I think it is close to a perfect episode, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to reiterate something I said towards the beginning of the show. The CGI in the show sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired and I think it brings it down very slightly for me. A nine out of ten is still great. That's fair. And I gave it nine uncomfortable scenes with your mom. Wait, I I have a question about that though because I assume you're talking about to wear it I think it's an improvement over I episode thought she's one. But yeah. the best looking thing no, on the show. I I'm not thought talking, the, I'm I thought not the talking scenes were beautiful. I liked the nightscape and the. There were there were a few times there where it, it was a little immersion breaking, and I'll have to rewatch it to, to uh, say. What, exactly what are the where, examples? Because I feel like this episode did not that much CGI. It was a lot of well, actually, I think work? they did a ton of CGI because the they had the two into... Oscar Isaacs in frame all the time. Yeah, and I thought okay. they did a fantastic job of that. Yeah. I think that was fine. I think the. Specifically, the outside of the desert that they are in, I think, can sometimes leave a little bit. I think some of you oh, disagree really with me. Pretty. And that's fine. That yeah, awesome. I think the scene me. where he is being wrapped up in the the cloth, I think oh, the, in the armor the, again. The, the generally, I just don't like the way the suit looks. You still th- want more of the Moon Knight suit? I I, yeah. I just want it to be a practical effect. Mm. I I would prefer I have been burned. Arnold, do you know this? I am a huge Green Lantern fan. Uh, I'm oh, a wow. really big Green Lantern fan, <laughs> and let me tell you what was not fun: the Green Lantern, Green Lantern movie, movie and the CGI Green Lantern suit. And I just am personally am a fan of practical suits. Kaya doesn't like it either. No, yeah. she really doesn't. <laughs> I mean, good for her. Say. Yeah, no, I I I, I do agree with that yeah, I think that's... that Moon Knight himself has been the weakest looking thing consistently on the show, yeah. which is a bummer. Yeah. I, yeah, I I do like the suit coming up around him only because because that that is different from the comic. In the comic, it's usually just a suit that he puts on, like every other Marvel superhero. Yeah. But mm-hmm. because this is we're in a place in the MCU where we've seen so many other heroes, I like the idea that this one is more mystical, yeah. and it just kind of like the suit is 
kind of this living thing that sometimes it's Mr. Knight and sometimes it's yeah. Moon Knight. And- I think they could do that, though, and then the final result of him being in the suit could be a practical suit yeah. because I still I agree with Better that CGI. part of it. Yeah, yeah the, mm-hmm. the suit being CGI just makes it look wonk it makes it look fucky and the, it makes it, it look fucky <laughs> the wild thing is we have had a ton of cgi suits in the movies that we haven't even realized or thought about or cgi yeah. the, and they're older higher budget yeah yeah more i mean time. you get more money with uh, why didn't yeah. this uh, i don't know what the, the time budget travel was suits. but it feels like it yeah didn't. the time travel suits uh in endgame are a great example those yeah. were 100 percent cgi uh iron man i think 99 percent yeah. is cgi iron spider even Ooh, is, spider is cgi yeah but a lot of those like the but again like you said it's a movie higher budget so there's they're able to make it a little bit more convincing but it feels like aside from the actual effect of him putting the suit on which i do love i mm-hmm. love that you know that he's wrapped up in mummy bandages that's great i mean that's a great tie to the egyptian side of the moon knight story after that though it can be a stunt man in a suit and i think it would be fine yeah <laughs> so i agree yeah all right, before we go, guys, recommendations. Oh. Throw in the jingle, Chris. Drop in the jingle. Recommendation jingle. Yeah. Do you guys have a recommendation for our listeners to get through their week? Yeah, I'll say my inspirational one. Uh, this may or may not have personal origins, but I'm going to be extremely vague about that. What I will say is... If you are, th- this is going to be very astrology sounding. I'm going to sound like a horoscope. If you, this is a white girl at brunch if right you here. Are yeah, Libra. Yeah, I'm going to actually sing a Weird Al's. Uh, that's your horoscope for today to everybody. Mm. Um, no, it, it, let let's just say if you are pursuing a career and you are you're not happy in your current one, go for the one that you think you'd be happy in. Do that thing. Uh, here's your encouragement. My recommendation is you are good enough to do that thing. You should try to do that thing. If it will make you happy, you should do that thing. Apply for the job that will make you happy Hey, because you might get it. Hey, I'll bounce off of yours with mine. Yeah. And I'll say if you've ever wanted to do something and you've ever felt like you shouldn't do it, do it. And I'll give an example. Well, not crime though. <laughs> Yeah, don't, maybe not crime. <laughs> no, maybe mur- no murder. Find you. <laughs> uh, I'll give an example. I, my entire life, have always wanted to learn how to skateboard, and it is just something I've always wanted to do. And I've never had the courage to do it, but I've decided that even though I am thirty, who cares? So I bought a skateboard the other day, and I'm learning how to skateboard. And if you want to do something, you should just go out and do it, unless it's hurting someone else. That yeah. That. So get but, a new job and learn to skateboard. <laughs> And then make that your job. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I, I totally, I thought this is supposed to be about real like movies and TV recommendations, but I, rec- I, I support what you said because I was in a good paying career that I hated and I decided, fuck this career. I'm going back to school to do engineering, which is not something most people would go back to school after a long time to do. It's very much like in the moment. You got to be sharp and young to do it. And I was like, no, I'm going to do that thing. And I applied to a school that I was previously denied entry in. And I was like, what are they going to do? Yell at me again? Like, no, I'm going to keep on applying until I get in. I got in. I'm about to graduate. I don't have a job in that career yet, but I am 
about to bounce off some interviews, and I'm much happier even without having that new job. That yeah, man. It's going to make me much happier. Hell so yeah. So that's a good recommendation you just gave. Yes. No amount of prolonged unhappiness is more important than the thing that will make you happy. Do that thing instead. <laughs> this is also lit. Hey, Chris, follow that up. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a regular recommendation, but yeah, go on. I, uh, I don't. The thing that made me happy this week is Taco Bell breakfast is back. I got a stick crunch wrap for breakfast. It was great. I don't recommend the Cinnabon Delight Yeah, don't coffee. drink that. Peaches had that on the way over, and it's he did not, not care for it. It's oh, very no. watery. But, but, I, the, but the breakfast crunch wrap. Let me tell you, the breakfast amen. crunch wrap is just so delicious. Did they bring back the cr- country crunch? They oh have my not gosh. brought back Why the country crunch wrap. That's I'm what sorry. they need. I want great. I want country gravy in my crunch wrap. Oh. Yeah, that, oh. that sounds great. No, it's I, so good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, if you don't like uh, white gravy, then you won't like it. But oh. yeah. So yeah. Sorry. I mean, everyone else said really great inspirational stuff, and it's making me feel emotional. And I, I don't have anything like that to add. So listen, I uh, haven't done food. anything. Do you new. have a movie or something? <laughs> <laughs> something silly. Uh. Go listen to Weird Al Yankovic's That's Your Horoscope for today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I've got a... We're not in my office, but Peaches knows that hanging above my computer, I have a signed picture of Weird Al from when I met him after a concert. He's a nice guy, and his music is funny. Go listen to that. That'll oh, that'll brighten your day. There you go. I had a real recommendation that I wanted to say. Yeah, what's that? For based on this episode, and it's not happy times, mm. but... The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah. Yes. Something yeah. we've talked about a lot. Oh, recently. yeah. To add a tally uh, to this. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's an entire horror show based around childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And that is heavy and sad and sometimes maddening. But that's what that show is. What's happening? Just thought, a minor earthquake. Okay, cool. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> the ship stopped. <laughs> We're in Florida, by the way. Um, yeah. But it, it, that show, I mean, it made me emotional not because it's it's supposed to be scary. You think you're going in for scares and you come out sad. Uh-huh. Uh, and and it's very relatable and, and it is about how childhood traumas can haunt you throughout the rest of your life in ways that you may understand or ways that you may not understand like ghosts. The, the first time I watched that show, I was scared the entire time. It has the greatest jump scare of all time, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> for my money. Yep. Um, the second time I watched it, because we, we we rewatched it last year because they had the Haunting of Hill House as a house at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal last it year. Was so, so beautiful. We had to revisit it, and this time I knew all the scary things, and I was just sad the entire time. <laughs> yeah. But it, but and the, the jump scare still got sad. you though. Oh yeah, every time. Yeah, you know it, but it's still like. Ugh! it is yeah um, i'm not gonna say anything more about the jump scare because it is the most earned jump scare i think i've ever seen mm-hmm. it's yep. brilliant but but it is you know we're talking about oh it's so sad and it is very sad but it is a cathartic kind of sad you know yes. the, some, it's the kind of sad that is it's good worth, to watch sometimes i would, worth it at the end yeah. yeah i would put that show for sure in my top 10 shows of all time yeah maybe in my top five i yep I've said it's my favorite TV show ever. For me, the finale doesn't quite stick the landing, but (laughs) (laughs) we're so wrong. I cry like a baby every Uh, time. We can talk about that later, but uh, it's not perfect. Perfect, like there's some loose ends. Yeah, but for the most part, I think it does stick the landing. I don't think think it's bad, and and the show is so good that having a weak ending didn't ruin the show for me. Like some weak endings can. So. So it is a weak 
darker ending in my mind, but and if you like that, watch Midnight Mass. Well, and I still need to watch. Oh, it. I need to watch Midnight Mass is so good. Yeah. yeah, I need to do that. All his stuff is great, and I'm I'm excited to watch the bits of the, the stuff I haven't seen of his playing Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. I I think I agree with Chris. I don't think it's the best. I don't think the the the, the ending does it for me as well. But I do think that the Bet Neck Lady episode might be my single favorite episode of like oh, any show because that episode Ooh. is very 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 uh, good. The way they recontextualize everything that you've seen throughout the show yeah. as the show goes on because it has sort of a flashback structure, sort of like uh, there's a show about an island that you've never seen it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they jump back and forth in time a little. Full yeah. disclosure: I have not seen the entirety of Lost either. Oh, I, wow! Know, so how my bad. dare you? Yeah. <laughs> Sir. It's time for us to start our Lost retrospective podcast. I'm in. Call. I'm in. <laughs> Lost <laughs> yes. There we go. I started this discussion. I like to. Play. All right. There we go. No, you're in. You're in. There we go. Y'all are the season. This is the seasoned veteran side of the room. These are the newish side of the room. We can look up message boards from the times that the episode aired to oh, talk shit. about people's theories. Of which there are many. Oh, yeah. We could talk about how they had that alternate reality game that ended with them revealing that the monster was a Mapinguari, which turned out to not be the case at all. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the, the Hunting of Hill House, they, they do a lot of there are parallel stories one when the main characters are children, and then them again as mm-hmm. adults. Right. And you don't see everything in order, but you see it in the right order, if that makes sense. This was like the funniest thing to bring up at when we're trying to close out the podcast, because I could talk oh, about yeah, this show. Oh, yeah, it was show. a Peach's favorite <laughs> show. For, like, the, I could I, I'm with easily you there. My, talk about it yeah. for hours. One of my favorite things ever is Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Oh, it's, the soundtrack is great too. The yeah. music. Uh, oh, that one piano piece in that show just like, oh, kills me. A detail that time. I love is that a lot of times in shows when they're casting family members, they'll do an okay job of making the people look like they are believably related, but it's not always great. Everyone in that show mm-hmm. in both timelines mm-hmm. looks like they could all be related to each other. And it looks like all of the young versions could grow into yep. the they old versions. Yeah. Nailed the yeah. child casting and adult casting yes. from a look standpoint. 100%. And oh, and of course, Luke is uh, is I believe Tommy, uh, yes. Wanda and Vision's son. Mm-hmm. I guess, oh, I, yeah, we, we talked about that. Tommy. He's one of the. We I remember we talked about that on the the blonde one. Yeah, yeah, he's the blonde kid. Um, oh, and the other thing about Hill House, if you haven't heard about, it, just um, last thing I'm going to say. Hidden ghosts in the background all the time. I think I actually brought this up. I think I said this in the podcast that I was expecting Khonshu to be like in the background all the time. And I said like a Hill House ghost. Because that's the thing is you can watch a show and not even realize that, oh, hang on. There's been a ghost in the background of the scene the whole time. Doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the story. It's just that this house is so damn haunted. It's fun. It's amazing. It's a fun thing to go back and watch and try to find them all. And it's even, I mean, it's even cool to like have a little checklist Mm -hmm. like on your phone while you're watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's one coming. I'm I'm going to see his face. Where is he? he? (laughs) Sometimes they're hidden in plain sight too that make Uh you wonder, like, God, like they knew I wouldn't be looking at that side of the screen. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I uh, extended this podcast <laughs> by 10 minutes. Oh, boy. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. But before we go, Arnaldo, thanks for having us over at your home. Yes, no problem. Yes, In our so studio. In your studio? Oh, why don't you let the folks know where they can find you all over the internet and your podcast and all that? Podcast is called Films from the Phantom Zone. If you didn't hear last week, 
be a psychopath to just jump into this episode. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> this episode Fitting. confused me. I need to find a podcast right now. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Whoever you are. If, if you are that person, I belong to a podcast. I'm a guest here. I belong to a podcast called Films from the Phantom Zone, where we do the opposite thing of <laughs> Assembly Required. We watch all the old, forgotten superhero movies. Uh, we just did Doctor Strange, a movie from 1978 TV failed pilot Listen, there are plenty of those you probably don't even know exist. We'll watch them for you and tell you all about it. But <laughs> you can also, yeah, but you can also watch along. Uh, we tell you where to find it, and you can watch and listen along and be a part of it. We also stream it if you want to actually like be in the recording. Essentially, you can ch- chat with us on Twitch, uh, and I do a second podcast on our Patreon called, called "Where's Mephisto," where we look for Mephisto in all of the streaming things. Whether it be Marvel, DC, Star Wars, <laughs> you never know. He might pop up in as an Obi Wan Kenobi for all you know. So there you go. Um, that's where you can find me. I, I can't wait for Paddington Two to be one of my recommendations coming up. I fucking. You're love welcome. <laughs> well, that's gonna do it. It's gonna do it for this episode of Assembly Required. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Assembly Required or at Assembly Cast. Email the show uh, Assembly Required Cast at gmail dot com. If you want to support the show, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Assembly Required. Come join our patron-exclusive Discord. Talk to us with uh, about all of our immediate thoughts on all of this. We are all going to be going to see, Robbie included, we're going to be going to see uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on Friday. And if you want our first, uh, our first reactions to that movie, be a part of that Discord. It's the best place to do it. If you want to follow us on Twitter individually, at least some of us, that is, it's going to be GatorSax2010 for Chris, Philkid3 for Robbie, and ABCD Eduardo1 for myself. But that's going to do it for myself, for Arnaldo, for Chris, for Peaches. We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Bobbly, bobbly. Latest Gators. Sé que allá en la gloria tengo una mansión más allá del allá del sol, más allá del sol, yo tengo un hogar, hogar bello hogar, más allá del sol. Um. the hippo song. It's about the hippopotamus, the most dangerous land animal in the world. Hippopotamus, hippopotamus, hippopotamus. Ah. <laughs> I'm a hippopotamus. I like swimming, but I'm dangerous. If you get too close to me, I might just bite your feet. Oh, hippopotamus, hippopotamus, 
Hippopotamus, I'm a hippopotamus. I'm a hippopotamus. I'm fat and dangerous. If you don't understand, I might just bite your.